Good morning again, everyone. It's good to have you here. I want to thank you. Barbara and I had a great uh, vacation, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to travel. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Hey, this morning we begin a new four-part series on the topic of waiting. The Bible is full of admonitions for us to wait for the Lord. Of course, one of the most popular verses in, on this topic is found in the book of Isaiah where the prophet writes, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And even though we have promises like this one from Isaiah and many others within the scriptures for those who wait for the Lord, the fact is, Waiting is very difficult for us. No one likes to wait. Now, we realize this. A Disney World understands this. That's the reason why you can buy a speed pass for extra money to get in front of the line. Nobody likes to wait. It's the reason why we spend millions of dollars to construct express lanes on our highways because no one ever likes to wait. But let's face it, we become impatient in this life. We're, we become impatient with fast foods because it's not fast enough. We become impatient with the microwave because it's not cooking our soup in a minute 15 instead of a minute 30. We just want everything quick. I've entitled this series waiting room because the waiting room is something that we've all have experienced. Steve Harvey last week on Family Feud. Yes, I do watch Family Feud. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, uh, says, you know, we surveyed a hundred people and asked them the question, what is the average time you have to wait in the doctor's waiting room? And the answer was 30 minutes. Now, I would have thought it would have been more than that, 30 minutes. If I go to a doctor and wait 30 minutes, I'm a happy camper. Uh, you know, my dad, he was somewhat an impatient person. I was telling my son, we I went to Best Buy a couple of days ago, and we couldn't find the clerk. My son was looking for this, this cord, and he couldn't find the clerk. And, and I told him that my, my dad, in situations like that, would just start yelling, Help! 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 Now, these days, you'll probably get arrested for doing that. Um, but they would all come running. Uh, he, he was somewhat an impatient guy. would be in the doctor's office, and after about 30 minutes, he'd go and tap on that frosted window. You know that's against the rules, right? You never tap on that frosted window. And um, he'd tap on that frosted window, and she would open it up, and he says, uh, we've been waiting for 30 minutes, and you can now tell the doctor that I'm going to start charging him now. <laughs> My dad had this strange idea that helped. <laughs> I don't really think it helped. As a matter of fact, I think it even delayed our appointment all the more. I think many of us are, are like my father. The fact is, though, many things in life we just can't speed up. We just can't make them quick. No matter how much we complain, no matter how much we construct, no matter how much we commiserate, 
we have to wait. And maybe you're waiting this morning. You're waiting for a job situation that's really tough for you, for things to change, to get better. Maybe you're without a job and you're waiting for one of the calls from those many applications that you've put in. Maybe you are ill or a loved one is ill and you're waiting for healing. Maybe you're on a diet and you're waiting to lose a few pounds. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. That, that vacation was terrible on me. All right. Maybe you're a single person and you're mate waiting for Mr. or Miss Wright. Maybe you're waiting for your spouse or for one of your kids to become interested in spiritual things. Maybe you're waiting this morning. The simple fact is, despite the fact that we dislike to wait, life is full of waiting. One of the most challenging exhortations in the scriptures is to wait. The book of Proverbs underscores the fact that we are torn between two lovers. On one side is the woman of wisdom, and on the other side is the woman of folly. The writer of Proverbs uses this literary device to be able to represent an idea by using a human form. And in this case, the writer uses two women to represent the choice that we have when it comes down to real life situations. We can choose the woman of wisdom or we can choose the woman of folly. Now, when you study the book of Proverbs and you compare these two women, it'll all come down to the main contrast in that the woman of wisdom waits and the woman of folly rushes in. The entire book of Proverbs is an appeal of a father to his son to not be deceived by the get-things-quick schemes of the wo woman of folly. The, the, the father pleads with his son to set his affection upon the woman of wisdom, the one who will truly bring satisfaction, real satisfaction, to those who wait. Actually, the, the book of Proverbs is a divine appeal from our Heavenly Father, calling us to reject the quick-fix methodologies of this world and to embrace the patient, prayerful pursuit of the promises of God for all those who wait for the Lord. Can we say that together? Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, the Scripture says, and keep His ways, for He will for they will inherit the land. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. The Lord favors those who fear him. The Lord favors those who wait for his loving kindness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And that's just a drop in the bucket of the scriptures that call us to wait for the Lord. 
But the woman of folly, the woman of folly calls out and says, wait, (laughs) don't wait. Don't wait to get a better job. Just quit the one you have now. Show them who's boss. It's not really a good idea. The woman of folly says, don't work on your marriage. Have an affair. Can you imagine it? Intimacy without responsibility. Wow! How erotic. It's not a good idea. The woman of folly says, listen, don't budget your expenditures. Don't wait. You want it? Buy it. You deserve it. The woman of folly says, don't trust God in the midst of tragedy. Curse God and die. (laughs) But the divine appeal from the woman of wisdom actually comes from our heavenly father and calls us to reject all these quick fix tactics of this foolish woman and to embrace the patient, prayerful pursuit of the promises of God for all those who wait for the Lord. This choice, though, is ever before us. One stands for the promises of God, and the other stands for the instant gratification of the flesh. One will bring long-time satisfaction, and the other will only bring division, destruction, and devastation. As Tom Petty wrote over 37 years ago, waiting is the hardest part. Waiting is the hardest thing to do. We don't want to be sick. We want to be in good health. And guess what? We want it now. (laughs) We we don't want to be sad. We want to be happy. And we want to be happy now. We don't want to grieve. We want to rejoice. And we want to rejoice right now. But we often have to wait To be healthy, happy, and to rejoice. And often, waiting is the hardest part. What did our church fathers teach us about prayer? Our church fathers taught us that prayer is the offering up of our desires to God for the things agreeable to His will. And prayerfully waiting for the Lord is how we truly discover his will. But waiting doesn't come naturally. An infant child doesn't understand the concept of of waiting. You remember, the child is born into the world, and the child wants fed now. The child is thirsty for its bottle, and it wants its bottle Now, the child has dirtied its diaper and it wants a clean diaper when? Now. The child has woken up from a nap and the child wants out of that crib now. And on the most part, we as parents, we respond to all the needs of this child as immediately as we can 
until that child grows up. And then we tell the child, honey, you're going to have to wait. Do you know how foreign that is to a child the first time they heard the word wait? Wait? Whoa, wait a second. My whole existence has been upon your immediate response, and that's the way it's going to work all the way through, right? No. No, honey, you have to wait. I think we've all seen children that never have been taught the practice of waiting, haven't we? And so it is spiritually. The Bible says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So the fact is, is that we need our heavenly parent to teach us the godly practice of waiting. I believe that there are three things we really need to develop the practice of waiting. And the first is patience. Now, you have heard that patience is a virtue. Well, the Bible tells us that patience is actually a fruit of the Spirit. As I mentioned before, patience doesn't come naturally. Impatience does. You don't have to teach a child impatience. You have to teach the child patience. And the Spirit of God must crucify our impatience and produce in us the fruit of patience in our hearts and lives. The Bible teaches us that impatience is something that we must take off. And patience is something that we must put on in Christ. And it's a conscious decision that we make to take off impatience and to put on patience. Now, let me just share you share with you a couple negative examples from scripture about impatience. Now, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child. This child was a child of promise. And they were both beyond childbearing age. But the Bible tells us that after a period of time, Abraham and Sarah grew tired of waiting. (laughs) They grew tired of waiting and they grew impatient. To the point one day, Sarah says to Abraham, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Oh, that's a good one, Sarah. Blame it on God. We're really good at that. Blaming all of our bad traits on God. But she continues, go into my maid. What do you think Abraham thought when she said that? What? You want me to do what? Yeah, go into my maid. Lie with her. Perhaps God will give her my child. That's what the Bible says. Perhaps God will give her my child. Wow. You talk about gymnastics of the mind. And of course, you know, 
the handmaiden Hagar became pregnant. The point is, is that Abraham and Sarah became impatient concerning the Lord's promises, and they took matters into their own hands and therefore created chaos. Chaos not only for their own marriage and family, but chaos between the relationship of people that still exist today. Another example, King Saul as the king of Israel had great military success over the Philistines. But then the Philistines regrouped and they, they surrounded Saul and his army. And the Bible teaches us that Saul's army trembled and were afraid. They knew they were surrounded. Now, Samuel had told Saul to wait seven days for him to come. Samuel was the prophet and priest, and Samuel would offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. But Saul became impatient. And on the morning of the seventh day, Tick-tock. Saul offered the offerings to the Lord by himself, which was totally against Scripture. And Samuel showed up shortly after Saul had finished and said to him, You have acted foolishly. He could have said, You listened to the woman of folly. You acted foolishly. And your kingdom shall not endure. The point is, is that impatience creates chaos and defeat. We must ask God to teach us patience. It doesn't come naturally. Patience is all about surrendering our control to God. And let's face it, that is very, very difficult for us to do. Patience is the prayerful seeking after God's will, God's way. Instead of waiting, we are tempted to manipulate circumstances in order to get what we want when we want it. Instead of waiting, we jump into our agendas. Waiting demands patience. It demands that we surrender control to God and that's really scary. But the Lord tells us, if we wait for him, he will fulfill his promises to us. Amen? Amen. Be patient. Pray. Asking God to reveal his will. The second thing we need to develop this spiritual practice of waiting is to trust in God's provisions. The Bible tells us that our God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me just rewind that a little bit. Our, our, the Bible tells us that our God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The problem is, is do we believe that? Do you believe that God is going to provide all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus? Every one of them, emotionally, physically, financially. Do you believe that your God is big enough to supply all your needs? God tells us that he is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 
The Bible tells us that he who supplies seed for the sower, which is God, and bread for food, which is God, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness in you. <laughs> Do you trust in God's provisions? God is telling us that he will provide what we need if we will wait for him. The psalmist declares, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait in his word. I do hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Now, the watchman would look out into the horizon waiting for the dawn of the morning. And the watchman knew that the dawn of the morning was going to come. Why? Because it came yesterday. <laughs> because it came the day before. And the day before that. And the day before that. So the watchman can look through the horizon knowing that the dawn of the morning is going to come because God has sent the dawn of the morning every day. That's the point. That's the reason why the psalmist can say, I will wait for the Lord. My soul will wait for you. And my soul will wait for you more than the watchman in the morning. Because, Lord, you have given me your provisions before and you will give me your provisions now. Amen? Amen. The psalmist declares, I will wait for the Lord. And then he speaks to his soul. And we need to speak to our souls. Soul, my soul does wait. Now, years after... Abraham's blunder with the handmaiden. God had blessed Abraham and Sarah with the child of promise, and his name was Isaac. And when the, the child was a young boy, the scriptures say that God tested Abraham and said to him, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains for which I will tell you. Now, human sacrifice was totally forbidden in Scripture. That was a, a big no-no. So Abraham didn't know what God was up to. But he knew he wasn't going to listen to that woman of folly again. So the Scripture says that he rose early in the morning, the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and says, My father, he says, Here I am, my son. He says, Behold the fire and the wood, but the, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I, I love that phrase. God will provide for himself. You know, God loves you. And God loves to care for you. And when God cares for you by giving you provisions, emotionally, spiritually, financially, when he gives you his provisions, it's like he's providing for himself. I love when Abraham says, God will provide for himself, my son. I think that's something we need to remind ourselves every once in a while. Well, the scripture goes on and says, And the two of them walked together, and they came to the place where God had told them. And Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord 
called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad for nothing. Do nothing to harm him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham, you know the story, raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took that lamb and offered him as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Can we say that together? The Lord will provide. I don't think you really mean it. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Wait for him. He's just navigating things so that lamb would get caught by its horns in the thicket for you. Wait for him. I'm here today to tell you that the Lord will provide for you. You might not know exactly what God's up to. Like Abraham, totally confused, bewildered. You might not know what God is up to, and you really might not even sense the presence of God even now. But I'm here to tell you that even though God is invisible to you, he is not inactive. You need to walk together with him to the place for which he has called you. And you need to trust that the Lord will provide. Amen? Amen. You know, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. The third thing I think we need to develop this spiritual practice of waiting is to trust in God's providence. Now, many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph his father loved him very much. Joseph's father loved him to the point that his brothers were extremely jealous of him. And one, one day, the brothers actually sold Joseph to, as a slave to some traders that had, were on their way to, to Egypt. Now, the boys went back home and lied to their dad, telling him that a wild beast had devoured Joseph. But the traders took him to Egypt. But the Lord was with Joseph, and eventually he became the prime minister of Egypt. Now, I just like I just like went through several chapters of scripture right there. (laughs) Some years later, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for some relief from a famine, and Joseph recognized them. Now, I've just fast forward a lot of more chapters of scripture. Thank you, preacher. You're welcome. Listen to what Joseph says to them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be grieved or angry 
with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, but there's still five more years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant it as evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Wow. You talk about the work of God in somebody's life. Are you kidding me? Now, the question I have for you this morning is when exactly did Joseph come to those conclusions? When did he come to those conclusions? Did he come to those conclusions the day that his brothers sold him into slavery? Did he come to those conclusions the day he became the prime minister of Egypt? Did he come to these conclusions the day that he was falsely accused and thrown into prison? You think he might have come to these conclusions the day that he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams? Do you think that he came to these conclusions the day that his brothers walked into his throne room? Do you think he came to the, the, these conclusions when his brothers bowed down before him? When? When did Joseph come up with these conclusions? And the fact is, we don't know when. And I think the fact that we don't know exactly when Joseph came up to these miraculous Conclusions reinforces the fact that we must trust God. Not, see, people look at the providence of God and they think of it about a time and space sort of thing. They, people will say, oh, by the providence of God, I didn't rear in that guy at the stoplight. You know, by the providence of God, this. Or, you know, and we look at it in time and space capsules. But when you read the story of Joseph, it's not like that at all. Listen, if you believe in the promises of God, the providence of God, you must believe God for the journey. And that is the hard thing. Listen, there had to have been days when Joseph doubted the providence of God. There had to have been days where he couldn't say what he has said 
in those verses. But day after day, incident after incident, experience after experience, Joseph drove himself to God. And he says, Lord, work in my heart that I might trust your providence. Not for this one situation, but the providence of life. What's interesting about what Joseph said, too, is he says, and brothers, this is, this is not just for you, but for the remnant to come after you. This is for people that you'll never know. <laughs> See, we look at the providence of God so limited, but he's saying, no, 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 trust God for the journey, for the journey. And even though you go through days and hours and weeks and months and you are just bombarded by this woman of folly, don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. Listen, if we don't Trust the providence of God for the journey. We will become bitter and angry. I mean, if the story would have ended like that, we've always said, well, he had every right, every right to be bitter. I mean, look what. But he trusted God for the journey. Wait. Wait for the Lord. In many ways, this world is just one big waiting room. You can listen to the woman of folly and search for some quick gratification that never satisfies. Or you can listen to the woman of wisdom calling you to embrace the patient, prayerful pursuit of the promises of God by waiting for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must ask the Lord to teach us patience. We must seek the Lord to give us confidence that we will receive the provisions that we need. And we must continue to trust God's providence for the journey. God loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was not some literary device. Jesus Christ was the person of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God made manifest to us. And you can look at many episodes in Jesus' life, but let's just fast forward to the drama of redemption when the weight of all of our sins, the weight of all the sins of God's elect are poured out upon Jesus as he hung upon the cross. And what does he say as he breathed his last? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And by his spirit, the Lord desires for you to cry out to God today. Saying, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what's really going on. I just know I'm a needy boy. 
Brothers and sisters, there's two songs that you have the opportunity to sing today. One is, I did it my way. Or the other is, I surrender all. And I pray to God that you'll choose the latter. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you as a needy people. Our needs are all that we bring. Lord, we are impatient. Lord, we lack faith. We seek and listen to the woman of folly way too much. And Lord, we come to you today thanking you that because of Jesus Christ, we can call out to you and wait for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing all things so that I might be a son and daughter of God. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Call me out to be yours. And Lord, as your children today, we ask you to teach us patience. To give us confidence in your provisions. And give us your spirit so that we might trust you and your providence for the journey. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.